to Check Your Beer, a podcast about quality control in your brewery. We're your hosts, Amy Todd, owner of Zymology Labs, and Julie Smith, lab manager at Lawson's Finest Liquids. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Check Your Beer, where Julie and I talk about quality control in the beer world. So today we're going to be talking about cell counting. So cell counting is one of the best and easiest things you can do to improve the consistency of your fermentations. Once you know how to do it, it's not super complicated. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. So, you know, the first couple times you do it, it's probably, you know, not going to lie, it might take a couple hours. Um, but the more you do it, you know, you can get down to 15, 30 minutes a count, have, you know, everyone trained up on it. And so... Well, I mean, you know, depends on, on your brewery and, you know, the best way for things to, to work out for you. Um, it's still a lot quicker than wondering why your beer isn't fermenting. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Magic Hat, everyone in the lab, we used to do all the cell counts, but at Zero Gravity, all the brewers do their own cell counts. Find what works best for your brewery. Yeah. Yeah, at Long Trail, we did, um, we did yeast spring counts once a week up in the lab and then the brewers were responsible for it but we used a turbidimeter to do it by turbidity and weight oh nice i've seen some people who will spin them down yeast samples oh, wow. too and do like the volume or whatever of solids oh. percent solids maybe oh. uh and then there's also obviously super expensive automatic cell counters which i have not oh. used I've just seen them, dreamed about them. <laughs> All right, so in order to start doing cell counting, you are going to need a few things. A microscope that has, what is it? Is it 4,000 times objective? Oh, I'm so bad at figuring out the microscope because then it's like the 10 times. You don't need the 1,000. Yeah. You, you need, need the three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and those are pretty cheap. Um, you can get them from any science website or just off of Amazon for about $300. Um, the second thing you're going to need is a counting chamber. It's called a hemocytometer. And there are a lot of options out there. Unfortunately, these are expensive for the size that they are. But it is important that you don't get the $25 one because the grids are a different size and the weights are off and it's just it's not it's not good and it won't yield any accurate results um they're around a hundred dollars uh from what is that sinmar yeah but they just changed their name now it's like your science hub or something Uh, like that they're they're available from there uh weber scientific too has some good deals on them. Um, make sure you get the bright lined one. I got one starting up the lab that was dark lined and you can't see it under the microscope. Mm. Um, so yeah, we have one of those that we will never use. And, and it's it- basically a counting chamber with a grid and you load it with um, a weighted cover slip on and it allows you to count how many cells are in each grid, and that's how you determine how many cells per mil you're going to need per batch. You also want the um, the ones that have the little Vs 
like to load. Ooh, right, those, those are so much easier. Yeah. I mean, the oh, other ones work, but those are way nicer to use. Yeah. There are disposable ones, too. Um, oh. I think they're still fairly expensive. I'm not sure how much they are. We use them in a workshop. They aren't as good as the glass ones, but, you know, if you're in a pinch and you're just starting out, it could be it could be a stopgap method for, for at least starting to count your yeast. Yeah, and we've already kind of mentioned this in some past episodes, but, you know, your results are only as good as the instruments that you use. So if you're doing these counts, but you have a cheap hemocytometer that's not very accurate, then your results won't be very accurate. and you're just wasting your time. Ooh, and another piece of equipment that is super helpful um, is a clicker counter. Yeah. Because when you're counting all of these Z-cells, you are going to lose count, even with a clicker. Um, There's also an iPhone app. It might be on Android, too, but you can, um, it's like a hemocytometer app, and you can tap the plus sign to count, and then it also helps you do the calculations based on the data you plug in. So that's kind of nice. It's like a little skip-step method. Yeah. All right, so once you have all of your equipment, you are going to collect your yeast. Uh, Typically, what I do is I collect... um, Oh, wait. How you pitch your yeast, if it's by weight or by volume... That's going to depend, too, on how you do your dilution. So you're going to have to make a 1 to 100 dilution. And so if you pitch your yeast by weight, you're going to have to do that by weight. Or if you do it by volume, because, you know, 99 mils of water weighs the same as 99 grams of water. But one mil of yeast doesn't necessarily weigh the same as one gram of yeast. So probably not going to make a huge difference. But, you know, once you're going through all these calculations... um, that that can add up and so we do by weight and we actually use a triple beam balance so like one of the ones you might have used back in high school because analytical balances are very expensive and triple beam balances are pretty cheap and they seem to be pretty accurate so all right so collecting yeast depending on where you're collecting it from um it's done a little differently i don't collect yeast samples out of the yeast brink i grab um fermenting beer around 24 hours after knockout and i usually just grab around 50 mils when we're bubbling away and actively fermenting um i mix that up on a stir plate for about five minutes and i do a one to ten solution since it's beer and not a yeast slurry um that seems to dilute it enough where the amount of cells are countable so i mix i use beer and water let that mix for five minutes Uh, And then I load it using a transfer pipette onto the hemocytometer and count the yeast cells from there. So I don't know, you guys use a yeast brink, so you probably sample that a little bit more. Um, So as the brewers are harvesting into the brinks, they'll take samples. So they'll take a sample, I don't know, we have like five brinks. Usually they're not filling them all at once, but it's good to sometimes have like take samples throughout. Um, you know, this is one of those things that, you know, maybe the first couple of times that you do it, take a sample from each brink and just see how it's changing. And if they're all, you know, relatively similar, you can probably 
after that just do just do one you know just you want to be taking a representative sample so maybe somewhere like in the middle of what you're collecting and then yeah we do one to 100 dilution I feel like there was something else I was going to... Oh, so I use Pasteur pipettes, um, the glass ones with the long, thin tip, because I feel like it's a little easier to get a smaller droplet than wood transfer pipettes. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, so once you've collected your yeast and loaded your hemocytometer, you're going to start counting your yeast cells. Um, if you've never looked at the hemocytometer grids under a microscope, it's basically a bunch of squares and they get smaller with more lines in between them as you get closer to the center. And there's two sides to it. So as you get closer to the center of one of the sides, you're going to see a five by five square that's outlined with three lines. So you'll count each of those squares within that three-line boundary. And you can also use a calculation so that you only have to count five of those cells. You don't have to count or five of those squares, so you don't have to count all 25 squares. But you're going to count the cells within those boundaries um, since you're putting liquid into the hemocytometer, there are going to be some cells that are kind of questionable on whether or not they're within the boundary. The rule of thumb I use is that if a cell is close to the outside of those sets of three lines, half of it has to be towards the center. So that middle line, half of it, it has to be split in half over that, otherwise I don't count it. But whatever you're doing, whatever method works best for you, as long as you're consistent, you're going to get reliable results. And as long as everyone that is trained on doing it is doing it the same way, um, your results are going to be reliable. But it is pretty amazing to watch a bunch of different people count um, the hemocytometer squares and get very different results. Yeah, I usually I use the middle line as my outside boundary. Okay. Um, so I feel like not all hemocytometers, though, I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like some of them, the middle line, like if you look, this is going to be hard to be explaining on the podcast, um, but so I feel like my top, my corners, they're like smaller, the squares, yeah. when yeah. they're on the triple lines. But it's like the middle one seems to be the same size as all the, all the other ones. So okay. so I kind of go, if it's touching the middle line at all, that so so I count top and right, and I don't count left and bottom. So oh. if it's touching the middle line on the top, like at all, whether it's like in, but out, or like if it's touching, but it's like above it, I'll still count it. But yes, that's one of those... As long as everyone's doing it consistently. Yeah, you're going to get the results you need yeah. for sure. All right, so you've counted all your yeast cells, and now you want to figure out what to do with that information. So in order to get the number of cells per milliliter that you want, you take the total cells in that 5 by 5 squared area, 
multiply that by the dilution factor, if there is any. If not, just leave it out. Multiplied by 10 to the fourth power. So an example would be if you collected beer from a fermenter 48 hours post-pitching the um, you degas your sample and dilute it 1 to 10. You mix it for a little while, um, and you load your hemocytometer and start counting, and you count 600 squares in, in the 25 squares, 600 cells in the 25 squares on one side of your hemocytometer. You're going to do 600 for the 600 cells that you counted, multiplied by your dilution factor, which was 10, times 10 to the fourth power, which gives you... 60 times 10 to the 6th power, and that is your total number of cells per mil for your pitch rate. I just remembered that I made a yeah. cell counting video. It's on YouTube. I don't know how you find it, though. I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to try to look that up and put it in our show notes or something. Oh, nice. I don't remember if I put calculations in the end or not. That's like the hardest part, though, of cell counting. Yeah, way easier than trying to explain the hemocytometer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, do you have anything to add for calculations? Is that, uh, I don't have to use that as much. Yeah, I mean, that for your cells per mil, but then to get to, like, how much you need to actually pitch, I can't do that off the top of my head. Check out my video. <laughs> Or, so the ASBC, American Society of Beer and Chemists, they've got some resources. They, so they're, they must have an SOP with all the calculations, right? They do. I pulled that um, from that. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that uh, the method of analysis, the section has all of this on there. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we just explain these calculations, it's going to make no sense. You need to see yeah. it written yeah. out. They're not hard. They're just long. Yeah. White Labs has a video. We were talking earlier. We don't really like, though, how they do their dilution. It just doesn't seem super accurate, but I guess it's better than not doing cell counting. So you also, yeah, you don't want it to take you hours. I think the, like, the actual method is to count both sides of the hemocytometer, like, five times, and then yeah, average and, them, which, you know... And- Ain't nobody got time for that. that. Yeah. We we do both sides. So you want both sides to be within um, 10% of each other. Otherwise, you should count again. And it's always when you're yeah. rushing, that's when you make all these little mistakes and you have to do everything again. And it's super annoying. <laughs> yes. The Brewers Association also has, it's called like Lab in a Fishbowl. And they have a good talk on cell counting too. All right, should we do viability? Yeah. Knowing how many these per mil you have available, and then using um, your group of cells you want to be pitching is great. Really nice to know how viable and lively those cells are. There are a lot of different ways to do this. Um, I do it a quick and dirty way because I'm not looking for a pitch rate calculation. I'm just checking in on the health of the fermentation um, uh, after pitching. So I use methylene blue, which is a dye that mediates the, um, the yeast cells if they're dead, and it stains them dark blue. 
so I just use 100 microliters of that into my little 1 to 10 dilution of beer and water and let that mix on a stir bar for 2 to 5 minutes. 2 minutes is great, anything over 5 minutes and everything kind of turns blue, so it's not the most helpful. Um, and then I load the hemocytometer normally. Um, I use a double clicker, so I have one side that is for dead cells, which are going to be those dark blue kind of shriveled up cells, and the other side is for live cells, which are going to look like normal yeast cells, and they some of them might be light blue, um, but you can definitely see a difference between light blue live cells and dark blue dead cells. Um, and that's some of that might be a judgment call that you make with the people in your lab or your brewery. Um, but again, as long as everyone is calling everything the same, you'll get reliable results. So once I count those live and dead cells, I add up the count for the total amount of cells. And then I divide the living cells by the total cells for a percent viability. It's, it's tricky with methylene blue, it's not a super accurate method, but it is just a quick way to make sure that your yeast is hopefully hovering above 85%, um, hopefully around 90, um, but take what you can get sometimes. Yeah, and this is, so it's viability is just if they're alive or dead, it doesn't give you vitality, so, you know, you can right. compare it to, you know, like your... 80-year-old grandmother or a four-year-old, you know, um, there's difference in energy levels there. I do my viabilities separate. I don't like counting them on a hemocytometer. I know a lot of people will do the dye, like, right at the same time as they're doing their count, but I feel like I just get too confused. I can only do one of them at a time. I will pull about a mil for my dilution, my 1 to 100 dilution, and then add about a mil of my methylene blue, let that sit for two minutes, and then I just put it on a regular slide, oh, and nice. then and then I just count in different fields, so, you know, if one field I only have, like, 100 cells, then I'll, like, move into the, another field. I make sure I count at least 200 cells, 200 total, and then I keep track of the, the dead ones as I go. Um, and then it also, I like, I don't want to stain my hemocytometer. I don't want to stain everything blue with the methylene yeah. blue. <laughs> I think that's why I use just like a tiny bit of methylene blue. Yeah. Cause it does the trick and then it like, it stains it a little bit, but when I go to do regular counts, nothing is stained permanently. Right. Yeah. And budding cells will usually stain blue, but they are not dead. They're just using all their energy for life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, live cells do not stain blue because they can metabolize the stain, but the dead cells hold on to it. Yeah. I think that's pretty much everything on viability. We didn't talk yet about pitch rates. Right. So having a consistent pitch rate is, um, going to be helpful for consistent fermentations. Kind of a a rule of thumb for most ales is about a million cells per degree Play-Doh of wort, and then 1.5 million for lagers. If you are brewing a Hef, a mm -hmm. uh, Hefeweizen, however you want to call it, 
Um, sometimes those are purposely underpitched because that's going to actually stress out the yeast, but increase the ester production. So, you know, for some, sometimes beers like that, if you're trying to increase that play, flavor profile, um, you might want to play around with your, your pitch rates a little bit. And so kind of, you know, I, I guess we just said that you guys should all be doing this, but we didn't really talk about why you want to be counting your yeast cells. But you don't really have any way of knowing how many cells you have in your slurry unless you actually count them. So I know a lot of times breweries will just kind of pitch like a pound of yeast per barrel or something like that. But you have no way of knowing, you know, like one pound of yeast one day might be totally different than a pound another day. You know, one day it might have a lot of wort mixed in, another day... It might be really thick yeast, so you have to, unfortunately, you have to actually count it to, <laughs> to know how many cells you have in there. So some of the big things with not pitching enough yeast, so, you know, these are kind of, I'd say some of the most, most common causes for off flavors in beers are due to the yeast not pitching enough. So when you're not adding enough yeast, um, you're going to stress out your yeast and then it's going to produce off flavors, diacetyl, fusel alcohols, esters, sulfur compounds. Um, you can, you know, your beers might not be finishing out as well. You could have some high terminal gravities, stuck fermentations. It could be a long lag time, so it might take a while for the yeast to start start fermenting and this can increase the risk of your infection. If the yeast is stressed and not performing properly, you could get some low alcohols if it's not doing its job. And then, you know, if you're repitching your yeast too, you're just going to kind of keep accentuating some of these issues and off flavors. You're, you're going to be selecting for unhealthy yeast if you keep using that. Anything else on underpitching? Nothing else on underpitching. So most breweries are way more concerned with underpitching, which I think as they should be is valid. Yeah. Uh, but when in over- doubt, pitch some more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Overpitching it can be detrimental too. Um, adding too much yeast can alter the lag time. Uh, your fermentation can take off right away, and it can finish super fast which doesn't really leave time for the yeast to do all of that good cleanup work from the flavors it creates. So that could mean increased levels of VBK since it needs time to clean up that diacetyl. There could be some acetaldehyde that doesn't get cleaned up. More yeast can lead to too high of a yeast crop in the next batch. So the same offset with underpitching where you're selecting for stressed out yeast in an underpitching scenario. You're selecting for yeast that are used to not having to do a whole lot of work, which um, will lead to hot spots in the yeast bed um, or just uneven pitching rates where your yeast just kind of gets stuck in a big cake at the bottom and you're not able to pull from that good center spot because there's just too much of it. 
Um, it can affect your viability. It can cause autolysis off flavors, which is that kind of like soy sauce flavor from the yeast dying and leaching out um, all of the contents of the yeast cell. You'll also have lower ester production, and that can also add a thinner body or mouthfeel. Um, so it can just really kind of make your beer less of, of what you want it to be, where under-pitching is going to give you slightly more off flavors. Over-pitching is going to just lead to a weaker beer all across the board, I think. Yeah, and we... Um talked last time about charting out like actually graphing your fermentation curves and so this can kind of you know if you are noticing that you don't have very consistent fermentation curves it could be you know maybe your pitch rates are inconsistent so maybe some of those batches were being overpitched, some of them were being underpitched, and you know so that's kind of one of those things, you know, can kind of highlight like, okay, um, fermentations are not very consistent. So let's work on getting these cell counts and pitching the same number of cells per batch for, for that particular beer. There is something else I was going to say that I forgot. Yeah. yeah I think it's yeast. a good example too. If you are using, um, those like fermentation profiles and you do see a lot of outlier spots um but you're not already doing cell counts i think that's a good enough case in point to to start using that data that you're collecting on your fermentation profiles and start counting your counting what you're pitching so that you know that it's more consistent and i bet you'll see a real change in those fermentation profiles into something that looks more like what you want it to be consistently oh i remembered what i was gonna say nice. so when i started with zero gravity they were um i think they were pitching um they weren't doing count so they were doing um counts in the tank cell counts in the tank after to sort of make sure that there was enough yeast in there which is you know one way to do it the only problem though is if you're low you can't really do much about it at that point or i guess if you're high too you can't really do anything about it (laughs) Um, so, you know, we knew adding the cell counts, you know, was gonna, you know, definitely add a bit of time to to start doing that. So we kind of were like, okay, so we're going to spend a month doing this, doing all the counts and adjusting our pitch rates based on our counts. And then, so, so I work at Zero Gravity, but I also own Zymology Labs, um, which is a separate business, and so I have a, an Anton Power alkalizer to test. It tests the starting and final gravity and alcohol and all that stuff. But so it's super accurate final gravity. So we're like, okay, well, let's see if you know if we do this for a month, is if it if we can improve our final gravity. So like if we can tighten up our our variation, then you know we'll consider that as a success, and. I don't remember what the exact numbers were, but it definitely, you know, so that month that we were, that we were doing the, the counting and the pitching based on the counts, um, we did improve, um, the variation in our final gravities. So we kept doing it, still doing it. Nice. All right. I think that's, uh, that's enough yeast talk for today. 
yeah, check out some of those resources. And this is kind of an intro, but probably not really enough information for you guys to to get out there and do it. But um, I'll find that video to post. And then, yeah, check out Brew Association, Weight Labs. You know, just, just Google cell counts yeah. and yeah, beer. And... Get done, then listen to us talk about it being done. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to Check Your Beer. Send us an email at checkyourbeer at gmail.com for any questions or episode suggestions. Uh, Check out our show notes for what we talk about on each episode. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll catch you next time on Check Your Beer. Thanks for listening.